Thursday, February 4th, 2021. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Polk Runyon. And tonight we present a discussion on the 9th century Arab treatise on stellar rays by the Baghdad sage Abu Yusuf al-Kindi. This work had a considerable influence on medieval astrology and magic. His influence continues to this day in the New Age astrology of Alice Bailey and in the revival of Picatrix and uh, Picatrix astrological magic grimoire from the ninth century that Alkindi's work may have influenced. So, if you want to find out where the mysterious seven rays came from, Stay with us, and we will return to Baghdad in the days of the Arabian Nights. Now, we got a lot of material uh, to read from tonight, and and, uh, and so uh, then I, I'm going to be juggling it, so so I may be some pauses while I while I find while I find the the references to read. So so uh, kind of stay with us. Don't don't, don't give up. Uh, and and. My my stalwart producer, uh, 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 Sir Andrea, will 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 edit the edit the show. So when it ends up in the archives, the, my my pauses will be will be deleted. Uh, anyway, let's get into it. Sometime in the ninth century of the Common Era, during the days of Charlemagne and Harun al Rashid, there lived in Baghdad a venerable sage named Abu Yusuf al-Kindi. He was a professor at a Baghdad university called the House of Wisdom, translating ancient Greek scientific and philosophical texts into Arabic. Drawing from his knowledge, this knowledge, he wrote numerous treatises of his own on subjects ranging from medicine, treatise, of most interest to the Hermetic community is his Deiratis Stellarum, which is subtitled The Theory of the Magical Art, and most often referred to as the Theory of Stellar Rays. Now, this work had a profound influence on medieval Renaissance and New Age astrological magic. It certainly may have inspired some of the Picatrix in medieval times, electional astrology in the Renaissance period and and in the Theosophy of the New Age, we are now aware that Blavatsky's ascended master, Kut Humi, was really the uh the the Maharaja of Kashmir and a and a, and a, and a magical adept in his own right, Ranbar Singh. And we know that he was very familiar with Alkindi's stellar rays. Alkindi may also have been frequently channeled as an ascended Tibetan master by Blavatsky's successors, especially Alice Bailey, with her treatise on the seven rays. Alkindi's book is not an easy read. It requires several readings to sift the gold from its pages. I am indebted to His Grace Bishop Michael Beeson, very honored Brother Suan, for his best copy, for the best copy available, which is a compendium of translations by Peter E. Poorman, Peter Adams Adamson, and Robert Zoller. One of the reasons why Stellar Rays is difficult is that Al Kindi was, was essentially a Neoplatonist, and he wrote like Plotinus. And if you've ever tried to read Plotinus's Enneads, you will understand why this style is not easily revelatory. To demonstrate the point, we will read from Chapter 1 on the origin of opinion, editing as we go to get to the more meaningful passages. And we will continue through Chapter 2 on the rays of the stars and skipping to Chapter 5 for a passage on magical preforms in the imagination, and another on the power of belief, and then on to chapter 6 and the power of words, and finally a key passage on the magic mirror that validates our method outlined in the Book of Solomon's Magic. Moving on to chapter 8 on images important in the Picatrix, 
concludes our reading from the text. Of course, this book raises as many questions as it answers. It is easy to see that it influenced Picatrix, but so did so did Thabit Kura's Imaginibus, a very similar work. But let's go ahead and and stop at this and uh, and read through and read through the text that we have uh, outlined here. Duranis Stellarum. Here begins the theory of magical art. Chapter one on the origin of opinion. All men who perceive sensible things by means of the senses apprehend them in some form, and by this apprehension they discover, through the operation of reason, that individual things perceived by sense agree with some forms and differ from others. With this exercise of sense, though the ruling unity of each man, the office of reason concurs that very... Unity comprehends a thing in a common form by subtraction of the things which are not common. And this is the mental comprehension of the intellect, which comprehending things in this way is called a universal. According to the nature of the form, and by comprehending the mode, is divided into five species, genus, species, differentia, repetium, and accidentus. When, therefore, in the said manner, a universal has arisen in the mind of a man because of the innate desire of knowing, he investigates its conditions by the operation of reason. And now the understanding arising from such an operation always arises from the senses as a universal conception. But because in, things, in similar things, a similar judgment is always given, it happens that some condition is attributed by the understanding which condition known to it does not con- concede with sense, but perceived to concede with something similar with respect to sense. And by this mental procedure, the same circumstances are attributed to a similar judgment. Now, you can see, you can see that this is sort of, sort of difficult to, to, to sort out, but it, but it's, but it's, it, it is, it is in the, in the, in the style of Plotinus. And I want to point out right at this point that, that, that the, uh, uh, that uh, Thavit even uh, Kora, who writes on the same subject in, in the Imaginibus, uh, is much more to the point. Although both of them were Neoplatonists, and both of them were in the same school, and and uh, both writing on the same subject, uh, Thavit didn't have to justify anything. He just told it the way it was. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, you go through all these these uh, philosophical uh, rationale like uh, like uh, uh, Kennedy did, uh, and we'll 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 see we'll see that later. But let's just skip on ahead here to a more meaningful part of this uh, this chapter. From this, it happens that certain men are wiser than others. And that's hermetic. He is called wiser who perceives things less perceptible and their conditions. Whence it is that those who are informed of the holy desire of wisdom labor very much for the comprehension of the hidden condition of things. By this aforesaid desire, the ancient fathers, seeing with the corporal eyes the multifarious diversity of worldly things, investigated their origins and conditions with thoroughness and zealous investigation, and regarding those things, they perceived by sense, they discovered by the guidance of reason, things which are reputed by wise men of our times to be beyond human comprehension. These things we believe, that these men attained on account of the temperance of human nature were perfectly thriving in them than in others participating in the same nature, with rectitude of character having been acquired by means of the same rectitude of character by 
regular philosophical exercise. They learn by these to aspire more diligently to higher things for their own perfection. And with this aspiration not ceasing from their whole lives did they cease from the zeal for knowledge. And this, therefore, was only accomplished because of the many things they perceived regarding visible things, which seemed to have been suggested to them rather by divine inspiration than by human reason. For looking up, they saw certain conditions of the many stars, and they especially sought to investigate and know which of the seven planets' properties were more well-disposed than others, and for they had proved by long experience that they were the especial stewards of the world, and they acquired undoubting faith through sense that the arrangement of the stars ordered the world of the elements and all things in it which are comprehended of them, comprehended in every time and place, and that therefore no substance subsists here which is not figured in heaven in its own manner, and that this happens by the rays of the same stewards sent down into the world is not to be doubted. Now that that is kind of the meat of the whole of the whole treatise, and it's and it's certainly hermetic, as above, so below, and it's and it's you know the the macrocosm uh, communicating with the microcosm because. Uh, and this, of course, is all hermetic philosophy. And now we're on to chapter two, the rays of the stars. Every star has its own nature and condition in which the projection of its rays with others is comprehended. Just as each star has its own nature, which is found in no other, and which the emission of rays is comprehended. So these rays... And diverse stars are of diverse nature, just as the stars are diverse in nature. Every star has its own place in the mundane machine, differ, different from all others, whence it necessarily comes about that each star is allotted a different relationship than other stars, both to all things and to all places contained in the world. Varied relationship, however, varies the effect of the rays just as all the other properties of them are varied. Once it happens that each star causes one thing or another in diverse places, and things as much in small things as in things differing only slightly, since the whole operation of the stars proceeds through the rays which are themselves varied in each varying aspect. For a ray which descends from the center of a star to the center of the earth, descends most powerfully, is proved by the most powerful of its species of its operation. One which is turned away is weakened in its effect, according to the proportion of its obliquity, ob ob obliquity unless to the extent that they are strengthened by the rays of the other stars falling in the same places. For into every place every star pours rays on account of which, because the diversity of the rays having been blended, as it were, into one, varies the contents of each, each place. And since in each diverse place the tenor of of the ray, which is derived from the harmony of the, all the stars, is diverse. Beyond this, since it, the harmony, is continually altered according to place by the continuous movement of the planets and by other stars, the world of the elements and all of its contents are continually moved into diverse conditions, springing forth into actuality according to the demand of the same harmony of the moment. Although to human senses some things of the world seem to be permanent, that this is not so has been rather evidently proven according to a physical reason by extracting the origin from sense. It is therefore clear that all diverse places 
at all diverse times construct the diverse individuals of the world, which the celestial harmony continually diversifying itself produces through the rays projected into the world. And it is also declared by sense in some things and in others. In this way, it is gathered by the reason that the solar rays uh, playing on a given subject composed of the elements affect the thing diversely according to the diverse nature of the things compounding it. And the rays of the sun shining on a dark body such as a human, such as a human body are reflected to the degree that color exists on the surface, but to the degree that the sun's heat enters that body and heats it as the rays have a nature that is life-giving. And the human spirit is fortified, and so it is very much the same in, in those things, which are not so manifest a sense. Therefore, it is proven by reason that the rays of all the stars have diverse operations in the things of the world according to their diverse properties, since all things arise and exist through the rays. Now, We'll skip over to uh, Chapter 5 on things accomplishing the effect of motions. And this is the passage on, on, platonic, on platonic preforms. Moreover, when a man conceives some corporal thing in the imagination, that thing receives an actual existence according to species in the imaginary spirit. And once the same spirit emits rays moving external things like the thing whose image it is, the image therefore conceived in the mind agrees in the species with the actual thing as an exemplum of the image made through the uh, through a work of the will or nature of both. For which reason there ought, and this is one of the principles of magic, by the way, there ought to be no wonder if a constellation which produces an image in the mind of a man produces the same in some other subject, since the latter does not differ from the former except with respect to the, uh, to the matter. We see at one time, as it were, innumerable animals of some species produced in the world by one constellation formative of that species. This is because much matter is suitable for the reception of that image. Though through the same constellation, and as we say, physically through the actions and passions of those elementary parts imitating the constellation. Oh, well, obviously, Capricorn's going to get, get the goat stirred up. In the same way, the mental images uh, and the real thing image, because they are of the same species, follow each other as long as both matters may be inclined to receive that form and some accidents occur simultaneously relating to time and place which demand the generation of the thing. Now, shipping down here to, to belief is necessary in doing this. Also, faith in a future effect is an accident which is necessary with the thoughts having been sent out. He who despairs of the effect works in vain, though it were otherwise wisely executed. Firm faith or hope regarding the desired event is a strength and a support of the desire, assisting the desire itself to be the realization of the effect. That is very a very important aspect of magic. Uh, now, let's skip on to the power of words. Chapter 6 on the power of words. Which uh, which goes along with what we just read on on uh, preforms. Therefore, because words are believed by men to contain an effect of operation, taking up this opinion again, we said that it sounds that sounds 
produced in actually in actuality make rays just like other actual things, and by their rays they work in the world of the elements just as other individual things do. And since there are innumerable differences of sounds, each one actually uttered his own effect on elemental things, which is different from the effect of others, and sounds have been allotted their effects by the celestial harmony, just as herbs and other things likewise. Just so, just to be multicultural here, uh, I'll leave point out that uh, Ogotomele, the, the Dogon shaman down in Africa, had, had a very similar, a very similar belief that words had power and, and carried. Okay, continue. Indeed, some incantations strengthen the operation of Saturn, others Jupiter, others Mars, others the suns, others Venus, others Mercury, and, and others the moons, and likewise certain agree in their effect with certain images in heaven and others with with others, and because certain uttered incantations accomplish the virtue and works of Aries, others of Taurus, others of Gemini, others of Cancer, and others of Leo, and others of Virgo, and others of Libra, and others of Scorpio, others of others of Sagittarius, others of Capricorn, others of Aquarius, others of Pisces, and of the other images depicted on the sphere of the fixed stars, and from which it happens that certain incantations uttered in one constellation and rulership have their own effect and others in others. And, of course, all of this ties right into the Picatrix, you know, and and, and and it also ties into the Sabean system, the Iranian system, which would uh, which would make Thavit happy. Likewise, certain invocations have an effect on fire, some on air, some on water, some on earth, and again, some uttered incantations have an effect on animals and others on trees, and likewise, some have an effect on one species of animal or tree, others on another. And again, some incantations have power over uh, one genius of accidents, another over another. Likewise, some invocations have the power in one time and others in another, and some have power in one place and others in another place, and some have an effect on themselves, and others seem to be joined by other utterances. Let's skip on over here to to one of my favorite one of my favorite passages, and that's uh, the spiritus of man is of an airy nature, whence it easily receives transformation through words, just as from other sources. And from this it is that from the utterance of certain words, images appear in a consecrated mirror. And this is because sounds are sometimes heard which have not been uttered by man. For this is also, it is, that by the utterance of some words, by adjuration, strange images are formed in a man's imagination, mind, and memory. Um, anyway, I'm going to refrain from from some uh, from directing that comment to certain people who who, who really ought to take it to heart. Uh, let's. Um, Skip on. Uh, skip over here to chapter eight on images. This is very much like uh, like Thobbit's *De Imaginibus*. Uh, that's what he wrote the, that whole book on. Okay, images of men and of diverse species of animals are also made with the observation of places, times, and other ceremonies, which, having been ceremonially brought forth into actual existence by the work of man according to the theme, joins some effective motion and to the, the one intending into the things promoting or prohibiting them, the celestial harmony informing the image so made through the projection of its rays. And the image projects its rays according to its likeness into the elemental things and moves them by virtue of the modes of its rays which it receives from the harmony. And diverse species of images require 
materials according to what is done in diverse constellations, also the diverse ceremonies of the work. The knowledge of these things proceeds from the knowledge of the nature of the stars and of the nature of the matter either agreeing or disagreeing with the property of the constellation and from the knowledge of the virtue of words and works which are required in the formation of images along with the intention of the operator. Therefore, in the way, in this way, images consecrated by men remain for those knowing, endure as secrets of nature retaining the effect of motion. And as has been seen manifestly in many cases, an animal image, because of its likeness to the animal, that has a center and a ruling unity, closely approaching equality like the world, is more capable of receiving virtue through words and works in its formation than things employed by a man who intends the effect of the same on the, on some theme and and with will and sufficient desire the, than are the species of things which have a center and a ruling unity extremely distant from equality. The former carry themselves at a greater likeness with the world, which is perfect equality to the letter. Now, that pretty much... Uh, concludes our text references there are there's a chapter chapter 9 on sacrifices which I don't which I don't think I'm, I'm going to read because you know we're really not into blood sacrifice and and and, uh, and, and all that and uh, that's what that's mostly all about and then the last chapter 10 on the beginnings of the operations and that's uh it closes. The ancient physicians, knowing the said virtue of words and figures, took all the herbs which they gathered for making medicines with incantations and having been previously spoken, or with the formation of images or both together, thinking that their power and virtue and expelling disease was thereby strengthened. This is true, there is no doubt, for those who have the secret marks of heaven and of elemental nature. And here ends the theory of the magical art, and here ends Alkendi's Deredis Stellarum. Oh, where were we here on the script? Yeah, moving on to chapter 8, the image is important, and concludes our reading from the text. Now, of course, this book raises as many questions as it answers. It is easy to see that it may have influenced Picatrix, but then so did Thabit Kura's Imaginibus, a very similar work, which raises two questions. Did Alkindi also influence the Sabean Thabit Ibn Kura, or was it possibly the other way around? Personally, I believe the former. The Sabeans of Haran were beginning to accept Hermetic writings to protect their non-Muslim religious status during that period. Yeah. Thabit, Thabit was an avowed pagan. And and, and, uh, and we'll get to that, and we'll get to that in, in a minute. And, uh, and, and, and uh, whereas Al-Kindi was actually a Muslim theologian. And so in this, in this particular case, um, and I don't know. There, 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 there may not have been too much love lost between them if they were, if they were colleagues. And it seems like at least, at, at least uh, during the during the time uh, that uh, uh, Alkindi was was older than uh, than Thabit, and and but they, but there was it seemed about about twenty years there at, at the uh, House of Wisdom that the two of them were both uh, were both teaching, and. Uh, so they died, so I feel like they must have known each other. Also, the influence the Sabean Thabit Ibn Kura, or was it possibly the other way around? Personally, I believe the former. The Sabeans of Iran were beginning to accept hermetic writings to protect their non-Muslim religious status during that period. And they may have been using Arabic translations 
which would make them dependent on the House of Wisdom in Baghdad. I'm not sure of that, but that, that's possible. And, and, and also, they may... They certainly were probably making their the translations from the Greek over up in Haran. Conversely, one wonders how much Al-Kindi might have learned from the Sabaeans of Haran. This is a puzzle for scholars and archaeologists. And and this is going to be tough because actually Haran, Haran is a, is, is like, it's, it's like Godeki Tepe. After the, after the Mongols, uh, ran the Haranians out. Uh, before they left, they covered the whole city in sand. It's it's a uh, it's it, it's it's a beautiful uh, in situ uh, relic for 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 archaeologists. But now the Turks are threatening to flood it, you know, because they because it's in the valley of a dam. They want they want to they want to make a dam and they want to flood it, and that that's that's got a lot of us very upset. And I'm not sure that they have yet. Anyway, Al-Kindi was, Al- Al-Kindi was an Arabian polymath. Like Isaac Newton and John Dee, he was a master of numerous disciplines. He wrote on music, medicine, chemistry, mathematics, astronomy, philosophy, and metaphysics. He added a string to the Arabian lute, the oud created 140 new perfumes, gave us a treatise on astrological magic. We may ask, how did his theory of solar rays work? And the answer is that they worked to configure the human condition at birth and through time according to the position and opposition in relation uh, to the configuration they had established. At the uh, at the time of uh, when the, the ascendant at birth, uh, uh, the rays configured your your internal microcosm. You know what uh, Pacino would call it, the planets within. Alkindi believed that everything emitted rays. We could not see an object if it did not send rays to our eyes. These could be carried on reflected light or emanate from the object itself. Rays traveled in straight lines, and sometimes they worked in combinations, especially the planetary rays. I might mention that, that the Sabaeans, uh, long before this, the Sabaeans were uh, doing their, uh, their planetary operations when the planet was at mid-heaven. They would wait till it was at mid-heaven, obviously because they, they, they agreed with, with Al-Kindi that the rays came straight down. And that's why they, they used that position. In modern times, the theory of stellar rays was adopted and expanded by occultists. The theosophist Arthur E. Powell diagrams the theosophical Hindu version associated with the doctrine of planetary chains on page 94 of his solar system, 1930. Now, he includes Uranus and Neptune but he was too early for Pluto. Alice Bailey attributes the seventh ray to Uranus and calls it the ray of magic. The IM people found this to be germane, pun intended, and followed suit. However, Prater Albertus of the Paracelsus Institute in his The Seven Rays of QBL, 1968-1985, directs the rays from an extended version of the Golden Dawn's Minutum Mundum, that's the Tree of Life design, in his configuration, the seventh ray would come from Netzach, Venus, the sphere of nature, and the goddess Astarte. Also, the goddess of Friday. Now, I think Al-Kindi, a Muslim, would probably have approved of that. Which brings us to the mystery behind Al-Kindi's status as the first Islamic writer on astrological work, if he influenced the Picatrix, he is not cited in the book, at least not in the European version of the book. The sage from the House of Wisdom, who is mentioned, is Thabit ibn Qura, a pagan Sabaean from Haran who wrote a similar, a similar book called De Imaginibus, or, or, or On Images and was equally talented and prolific in the sciences. You know, 
these these two guys, Kendi and 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 Bobbitt, they uh, they were really really masters of a number of uh, of different disciplines, and um, and uh, Bobbitt Bobbitt was credited as being the inventor of statistics, whereas uh, whereas Kendi was a crypt was was a cryptographer was a cryptographer uh, he he was a, he was a, a master of secret codes and and curiously enough uh the europeans uh well the europeans that read his that, that read his work uh Trithemius, he also uh dealt dealt in 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 uh in secret codes and and uh so the they, 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 these two guys influenced influenced a lot of Renaissance uh, 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 Renaissance uh, masters in the in the way in the West. Um, now, the fact is that both men taught at the same school, wrote many on wrote on many of the same subjects, were both proponents of Neoplatonism, and translators on ancient Greek texts. It leads us to wonder. What was the relationship or connection between them? I might mention that Thomas de Imaginibus is more widely known and available than Alkindi's Theratus Stellarum. The lack of historical connection between the two poses a mystery. Let's compare their biographies. Alkindi was born in Kufa and educated in Baghdad. He became a prominent figure in the House of Wisdom, and a number of Abbasid caliphs appointed him to oversee the translation of Greek scientific and philosophical texts into the Arabic language. This contact with the philosophy of the ancients, as Hellenistic philosophy is often referred to by Muslim scholars, had a profound effect on him as he synthesized, adapted, and promoted Hellenistic and peripatetic philosophy in the Muslim world. He subsequently wrote hundreds of original treatises of his own on range on a range of subjects ranging from metaphysics, ethics, logic, and psychology to medicine, pharmacology, mathematics, astronomy, astrology, and optics, and further a field to more practical topics like perfumes, swords, jewels, glass, dyes, zoology, tides, mirrors, meteorology, and earthquakes. The field of mathematics, okay, he played an important role in introducing Indian numerals to the Islamic world and subsequently re-enabled as Arabic numerals to the Christian world. Along with, uh, let's uh, uh, give, us, give, me, give a timeline. He's born in, eight, in 801. And he died in 873, at approximately age 72. Now, that's Al Kindi. Let's skip over to the official biography of. Uh, I say official because I'm you know I'm quoting from Wiki here, and you know and and these days Wiki Wiki is official these days. I might mention that uh, that uh, Thabit has come out come off much much better in Hollywood than uh, uh, than Alkindi uh, has. He's usually in the Sinbad movies. He's he's play he's been portrayed by two British actors, Thorin Thorin Thatcher in the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, uh, did he man? And then he came back in in the uh, in the Golden Voyage with Tom Baker, you know, who was. He used to do Doctor Who. Tom Baker did him in, in uh, the Golden Voyage, and and Tom Baker's performance in the Golden Voyage of Sinbad it's just it's just, it's just great. Anyway, Thibet Ibn Karar biography. Thibet was born in Haran in Upper Mesopotamia, which at the time was part of the Dr. Mudar subdivision of the Al Jazeera region of the Abbasid. Caliphate. Thabit was a member of a Hellenized Semitic astronomical cult called the Sabaean cult, who were who also worshipped the stars. The city of Haran was never fully Christianized, 
by the early Muslim conquests, the people of Haran were still adhering to the cult of sin. That's the Babylonian lunar god. Thabit was originally a money changer in a marketplace in Haran before going to Baghdad. Thabit and his pupils lived in the midst of the most intellectually vibrant and probably the largest city of, of its time, Baghdad. Thabit came to Baghdad in the first place to work for the, the Banu Musa, becoming a part of their circle and helping them translate Greek mathematical texts. What we don't know is how Banu Musa and Thabit occupied himself with mathematics, astronomy, astrology, magic, mechanics, medicine, and philosophy. Later in his life, Thabit's patron was the Abbasid caliph al-Mutadid, who reigned from 892 to 902, whom he became, to, to whom he became court astronomer, and that means astrologer, of course. Thabit became the caliph's personal friend and courier. Thabit died in Baghdad in 901. His sons, uh, Sanan Thabit and grandson Ibrahim al-Sanan, would also make contributions to medicine and science. And by the end of his life, Thabit had managed to write 150 books on mathematics, astronomy, and medicine. With all the work done by Thabit, most of his work was, has not lasted time. And there are less than a dozen works by him that have survived. And, of course, the, the main one that he's, that he's most famous for is De Imaginibus. Now, now that we've uh, got official biography and we got the timeline, let's have a look at De Imaginibus itself, which is still in print. And uh, and you can uh, you can get it from uh, from Christopher Warnock Renaissance Astrology, and it's uh, translated by John Michael Greer with a commentary by Christopher Warnock. And uh, what I would like to do is read what they have to say about Thomas in here, and this will give you a better perspective. This article is called The Sabaeans of Haran and Thabit ibn Qurah. Haran, located in the southeast of modern-day Turkey, has a long history as a spiritual center. On the nexus of several trade routes in great antiquity, it first came into prominence as the city of the Mesopotamian moon god Sin, and several great temples to this god were built there. Haran is also associated with Abraham, a prophet of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Then Abraham came out of the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and from there, when his father was dead, God sent him into this land in which you now live. And that's from Acts uh, chapter 7, verse 4. Uh, from an esoteric standpoint, however, it is the association of Haran with the Sabaeans that is of greatest importance. The Sabaeans of Haran were renowned as pagans, and the last remnants of the civilization of the Greeks and the Romans. They were granted tolerance by the early Muslim conquerors of the region as a people of the book with, with a prophet. Hermistress Megistus. Haran appears to have been home complex synthesis of the ancient religions of Mesopotamia, the teachings of Zoroaster, the traditions of the Persian Magi, Syriac wisdom and magic, and in particular that fusion of the science and spirituality, particularly Neoplatonism of the Greeks, and the wisdom of the Egyptians known as Hermeticism. The religion of the Sabaeans of Haran was astrology-based and focused on philosophical principles, as well as the stars and the planets. The Islamic author al-Masudi says that while the temples of the supreme principles, the demiurge, the world soul, matter, space, and time were around, the temple 
of Saturn. It's hexagonal, of Jupiter triangular, of Mars long, rectangular. The sun square, that of Venus a triangle, uh, in a triangle, and that of the moon octagonal. The Sabaeans have in, uh, in them symbols and mysteries which they keep hidden. Picatrix provides further details that give, give us some idea of the planetary worship that took place in the temples of the Herodian Sabaeans. For example, to invoke Saturn, one was advised to, uh, to elect a time when Saturn was in a sign where he was well-dignified and direct, not, and not afflicted by Mars or affected by other impediments. And the worshiper, Dimash, was told to wear black clothing, particularly favored uh, being the black being the black cloth of a corpse, and it was wrapped as well as the the, the worshiper the worshiper Dimi, the worshiper Maj was to wear a ring of iron and burn incense composed of opium, saffron, laurel seeds, wormwood, dried wool, and the head of a black cat. Ooh, you know some some of the some of the Sabian stuff. You know, I certainly don't go along with and and the other noisome ingredients. Finally, the worshiper, Maj, raised the burning incense on high and called upon Saturn. And then, of course, they have uh, they have a, uh, an invocation of Saturn here from the Picatrix, which we'll, we'll go ahead and skip. What I want to skip over to is Theban, Bobbitt. Uh, it's spelled both ways, Theban and Bobbitt. Uh, I want to skip over to, uh, to Bobbitt's declaration in declaration. Of the of of his of his feelings about paganism, and and I'm sure that, that and I'm I'm sure that that his Muslim benefactors were not particularly happy with this. Uh, here's what he says: We are the heirs and propagators of paganism. Happy is he who, for the sake of paganism, bears the burden of persecution with firm hope. Who else have civilized the world and built the cities, if not the nobles and kings of paganism? Who else have set in order the harbors and the rivers? And who else have taught the hidden wisdom? To whom else has the deity revealed himself, given oracles, and told about the future, if not to the famous men among the pagans? The pagans have made known all of this. They have discovered the art of healing the soul. They have also made known the art of healing the body. They have filled the earth with settled forms of government and with wisdom, which is the highest good. Without paganism, the world would be empty and miserable. Oh, boy. I wonder I wonder how, uh, how Al-Kindi uh, would have reacted to that. After a schism in Haran, Thabit journeyed to Baghdad, where he obtained the patronage of the great Abbasid caliph al-Muradid, and taught in the caliph's famous Bayat al-Hikam, which is the Arabic name for the House of Wisdom. He is said to have translated or written 150 books in Arabic, as well as done important original work in philosophy, astronomy, astrology, and mathematics. He died in Baghdad in 901. The tolerance of their Islamic overlords eventually came to an end, and the city's fortunes waned. Let's talk about Haran now. And the city's fortunes waned until its thousands of years of history came to an end in 1271, when Haran was forcibly depopulated by the Mongols. Oh boy, can't you just see John Wayne and and uh, um, Susan Hayward riding into Haran? <laughs> I don't want to look at that. <laughs> but anyway, the question in my mind, of course, rises up: is is what was this connection between these two, the old Professor Al Kendi and the young Haranian Sabian coming into the to, to the university in Baghdad? You know, there's a wonderful story here. I wish somebody would write a historical novel about these uh, about these two guys. You know, uh, 
And uh, this would be, uh, and of course, it's unfortunately, it's kind of politically incorrect because because I, uh, you know, we're we're sort of we're oh, but importantly now, and I want to mention this before we close, the Samia, the, the, this whole Samian thing, uh, especially to, that relating to astrology, is very important to the West because of the influence, one of the most important Western mystical books, and that what I'm referring to is the Parsifal of Wolfram von Essenbach. Because Wolfram von Essenbach circulated the Parsifal actually in the, in the in the 12th century, in the 1100s, right before the, the Albigensian Crusade, and, of course, before uh, the fall of, of Haran, and but the Sabaeans, the Iranian Sabaeans had a tr- had a tremendous influence on the on on the Parsifal. Parsifal's grandmother was a Sabaean, and uh, and his brother, his half brother, was a Sabaean. And and I know this is going to sound funny to those of you who have read Parsifal. You think that they're Saracens, but they're not. Both both his grandmother and and his half brother. Uh, for Faz, both of them are pagan Sabaeans, and this is obvious. We, we we lay all this out in Hermetic in Hermetic Yoga Volume Two, the Rosicrucian Yoga. All of this is, is laid out and established. So anyway, we're just about getting to the end of the hour, and and uh, and this is quite a quite a food for thought, you know, uh, for these two these two scholars. And as I said. Thabit has come out better with us, with us in the Hermetic community. His uh, book is still in print, and whereas uh, uh, the stellar rays of Alkindi is very difficult, it's out of print. Uh, I hope it comes back in print. Maybe, maybe this, maybe our program will simulate somebody to bring it back in print, because there is there is quite a bit of gold to be dug out of, of Alkindi's stellar rays. So. Next week we'll be back with another uh, with another discussion on the hermetic on the hermetic tradition and and, uh, and perhaps another another hermetic mystery. And until then, good magic, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>